Well, good morning. It's good to be here, and it's good to have Clarence and Lois, uh, Nicole's mom and dad, with us here um, over the weekend. I hope that my voice isn't too distracting this morning and that it actually stays and doesn't croak around and, uh, and bother anybody. Before we get into, I want to continue our study of the book of Philippians, um, but before we get into that, I'm going to put this picture up here, and I wonder if anybody knows what we're looking at. And I hope this also doesn't irritate you, but I'm not going to tell you for a little bit anyway. So remember this picture, see if you can figure out what it is, and uh, we're going to circle back around to that um, with something we're looking at in the book of Philippians. Another question to, to think about as we um, get into chapter 2 is if, if somebody asks you, what is it like to be a Christian? What is it like to follow God? Does God change what you want? What would you say how, if, if you were to describe the process of following God and being changed into his likeness? If somebody asks you how God changes you, I wonder what, uh, what you would say. So just a little bit of background. Um, you, can, you can turn your Bibles to Philippians 2. Uh, but a little bit of background, we were looking at the book of Philippians, the first part of it, uh, we were looking at Paul's prayer and the concept of God bringing to completion the work he starts. Um, after that, we looked at, uh, in the end of chapter 1, a life that honors God. Here you have Paul sitting in prison, he doesn't know if he's going to live or die, and he makes some incredible statements, and what were the things that allowed him to do that? And then last week, we got into chapter 2. And it's all under the heading of living a life that's worthy of the gospel. And not going to spend a lot of time on this, but just as a reminder, we, we looked at different arenas or different areas that God was addressing. And uh, so the commands are up here, and they're all based on these truths here. So when we're facing opposition, how do we relate to fellow believers, and how do we relate to each other? And again, it's all flowing out of um, chapter 1, verse 27, where it says, live worthy. And in, in studying um, for this and thinking about the Sunday school lesson, I'm amazed at how much these themes tie together of living for other people and being willing to humbly serve and to submit to each other. So that's, um, that's where we've been. I want to continue today. Um, I'm going to pick up and read chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 18, and then we're going to look at verses 12, um, 12 through 18. So Philippians chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 18. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. 
For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or questioning, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. So today I want to pick up, uh, like I said, in verses um, 12, through thir- 12 through 18, and I want to focus on three of the things or three commandments that God gives us in this passage. And we're going to spend the most time on the first one, um, just because it's so foundational to what it means to walk with Christ. So we will we'll plan to spend most of our time here. So he's starting out, and he's got a, a big command for us, but he says, therefore. So obviously pointing back to what just happened, um, and he's talking about where Jesus came, he emptied himself. And so because of all of this, and now he's saying, I want you to do something. And the command to us here is that, well, he's telling them to obey, whether he's there or not but that we are to work out our own sal- our salvation with fear and with trembling. And so he's asking um, that we put work and discipline into working out what God is doing in us. So I'd like to just consider this, what we're asked to do. So he says we are to work out our salvation, our own salvation with fear and trembling. Just to think a little bit about salvation, I know we use the word all the time, but we're talking about Almighty God who came and gave his Son to die in my place, made me right with him, and filled me with his spirit. And if all of those things are true, then how would you expect our life to look? And so that's what we're talking about. I just don't want us to lose sight of that and the wonder of that. So in, in, in light of all that he said, we are to work it out. And the idea for working it out is, is literally to carry it out to completion. And today we use the term working out as in physical exercise, and that's actually not, that's not that far off from what he's talking about. That we've been given salvation, and now we are to work this out in our everyday life. So we are to carry it to completion. And so one, one way to think about this, just so we understand it, is in Ephesians 6, uh, verse 13, where he tells them that I want you to stand, and, after, and, and having done everything to stand, then keep standing And that's the exact word for work here. So that we are to do everything that we can to work out this salvation, to work out what God is doing, what God is doing in us. So another thing just to notice here, it talks about your own salvation, and that is plural. So he is he is talking about that in the context of the church. And you may um, think back to what Dave talked about last week. It also is very true individually, but it, it does carry a connotation of, as a church, work this out. So work this out, and we are to do it with fear and trembling. Anybody, did that catch anybody's attention? Why would we be working this out with fear and trembling? I don't think that it's a, a fear of are we right with God, but it's a realization of who God is and what he's doing. So we are called to work this out. We've been given salvation so what does, what does salvation look like in 2019 in Catlett? 
if a if a somebody who is between the ages of eight and eighteen and in school, but has given their heart to Jesus, what does that look like when you work it out? And I think that God, obviously, we walk with Him. He gives us lots of things to obey, but God does not spell out all the specifics of our life. We make so many decisions, and we're called to work that out. So there will be those of us in school um, working it out. What does it look like to follow Jesus? What does it look like to be a 30-something focused on your job and other things in that decade? How does it look to follow Christ? Or maybe midlife? Or what does it look like for those of us who are retired and looking at the last decade of life? And God is saying, just work out your own salvation and, and put expression to what it means to follow Jesus. What does it look like to follow Jesus in marriage or as a single person? Or maybe as you face health challenges or financial pressure or as you cook dinner or pay bills. And God is saying in literally in every scenario that we are in, we're to work out the salvation that we've been given, to give expression to it and to allow it to, to come out of our life. So I don't know how you feel, but that, that to me feels like a big command that I am. God has given me this and he asked me to work it out. Um, and do you think back to all the commands we've been given in the first part of chapter 2? Don't, don't think about yourself. Humble yourself. All these commands look so big. So I'm very thankful that the verse goes on. The next verse says, for. So all of these things were to work it out. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So because of this, God, we are to work it out. But God is actually the one that is working in us. And I just find so much hope in that and, and so much encouragement in that, that we are to, yes, we are to flesh it out, but it's actually God that's doing the work in us. So God is working on the inside of you. And when he uses his word, for, so up here, our word for work is to bring it to completion, but his word for work is actually the word where we get energy, the word energy. So we are to flesh it out, but God is the one that is literally pouring the energy into our life to do that. Um, and, and he's the one that is, is really doing the work or driving the work. And just want to remind us that it is the same power at work in us that raised Jesus from the dead that is at work in your heart this morning. So, and I'm thankful for this. Um, it says that he is working both to will and to work or to do. So I'm thankful that when God changes our hearts, he changes our, our desires, what we actually want. Isn't that awesome? That God changes us at that level. But it's not only that, he changes and gives so that we can actually obey, so we can do it. So he doesn't just do one or the other, but God is somehow in our hearts this morning, changing our actual desires and our actions. Um, so you can, you can look around at all the people next to you, and an all-powerful God is literally working in their heart if they're following Jesus to change both what they want and what they do. And at least for me, I probably need to look in the mirror and say, you know what, an almighty God is changing both what I want and giving me the power um, to live that out. So God is giving us both the will and the strength to obey. And I just um, find that so exciting and, and uh, I don't know, comforting this morning that God is doing all of that for us. So he is changing both our will and our actions. And I want to become sensitive to what God is doing um, in us. 
So Ephesians 3, who all thinks about these verses when it comes time for prayer requests and things like that? Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Does anybody know the next phrase? Anybody know? According to the power that works in us. Unto him, and then he goes on to unto him be glory in the church. So I just want to remind us that God is actually able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or imagine or even think. And that's the power that's working in us to make us like him. Um, that God is the one that's changing us with that power. <clears throat> and the end of the verse, um, thankfully, talks about for his good pleasure. God is doing all of this to make a life that pleases him that we can walk in his will. Um, and just want to take, I guess, take comfort this morning that God is doing a work in you, and he is pleased in your life when we, uh, when we obey him. You know, um, we like to go to Chick-fil-A, and they're known for the, fla- um, for the phrase, you know, it's my pleasure, it's my pleasure. I don't know if they always mean it, but that's, you know, obviously what they have to say. Um, when we obey God, I just, when it, it is working for his pleasure, and he... He really means that. And isn't that amazing that God does find pleasure in, in our lives and in what we're doing as we respond to him? So that's the first command, that we are called to work out what God is working in us. And I want to just um, stop and try to just explain a few things here. Um, hopefully we don't get, I don't want to spend too much time on it, but I feel like it's so foundational to understanding the Christian life. So let's just say that this pot rec- um, represents the command to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. And it's heavy. But on the one hand, he says, therefore, because of what Christ did, because of his example, and because he's exalted, if you humble yourself, you will be exalted. So on the one side, it's being held up by what Christ did and the promise that if we obey, God will exalt us. And then on the other hand, he says, for it's God at work in you. So yes, the command is a big command, but it is resting on what Jesus did and will do and it is resting on the power of God. And then we can, we can live that out in, in confidence and in faith, just knowing that that's, what, that's what's holding up that command to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. Another thing um, I just want us to notice, and, and then you see this so often in the New Testament, how often God talks about our part or our work and then his part. Um, and the two show up side by side. So just a couple of other places where God talks about this so we can get a grasp on that. But, the grace, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. So just the concept that it's God's grace making us, and Paul had to work that out, but yet it actually is God's grace. And so they go, they go hand in hand. And I won't read all of this, but in, in 2 Peter chapter 1, he's given us, by his power, all things that pertain to life and godliness. He's already given that. And then, for this very reason, make every effort. So God gives us all of this, and then we are called to come along and make the effort to work that out. So one, one example that I thought of is just uh, with, with our adoption and being able to adopt Annika. Um, so we... The adoption was put into place in Bulgaria, and it went through the courts. And so it was, already, it was already final, 
but Nicole and I had to actually work it out. We had to you know, buy tickets and go and go through the process for it, for it to come to pass. Just a little example of, of what it looks like for it to be done, yet we have to work it out. Another one that I want to just spend a little bit of time thinking about here is when you think about your salvation, do you tend to think in the past, in the present, or in the future when you think about salvation? Is it something you think about in the past and future, or, or is it something you think about in the present? It's kind of a trick question because it's all of those. But I, I tend to think about it most as a past or a future event. But it actually is very current as well. And John Piper um, really helped me to, to see this and, and note it. And then again, once you see it, it starts showing up. It feels like everywhere. Um, let's, so here's an example of that um, in another passage. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to, those, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So here, the concept that we are being saved. So salvation happened in the past when Jesus redeemed us. It is a future event, but it is current, and that's what we're working out. And here it talks about we are being saved. Another verse in Hebrews 10, For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So it's something that's done, and yet it's going to be fulfilled in the future, but yet it's actually working out right now. And so uh, I just want us to understand that as we think about working out our salvation, that it's, it's all three of those. It's past, and it's current, and it is future. All right, let's back up to the pictures. Um, the one definition that I ran across, I think from David Jeremiah, that talked about what it means to work out your salvation, had the idea of mining. And if, so if somebody is mining, they are digging up something that's already there. So they are, they're, they're working, but they're not taking any credit for the, whatever they're getting out being there. So um, what you were looking at here, this is um, the name of a diamond mine in Russia. And it's M-I-R. I'm not quite sure how to pronounce that. And it's one of the world's largest mines. Um, it is 1,700 feet deep and 3,900 feet in diameter. So if you look at the size of this, uh, you can see the city behind it, and here is a diamond mine. That's a picture down into it, and uh, here's where it gets a little worse. Herman, I wonder if you would be willing to do some trucking here. So here's a picture of what they used to, to haul things out compared to an, a standard SUV, and then that dot on the picture is one of these Caterpillar vehicles driving down into the mine to, to try to bring stuff back up. I have no desire to ever ride in one of those vehicles in that spot. <laughs> but anyway, I just I wanted to show this as a picture of what when we're working out, we're just we're 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 giving expression to what God has already placed there. And that's what we're doing. So we we are called to work, but there's it's God that has done and is doing all of these things um, <clears throat> for his good pleasure, so we can be um, fulfilling his will. I thought the New Living uh, Translation summed this, um, this commandment up very well. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. 
So that was the first commandment. Um, and then he goes on in verse 14. He says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. So the word grumbling just, I mean, it's exactly what you would think. Just kind of muttering and, and just under your breath, disgruntled with what's happening. So that's, that's what muttering is. Disputing can mean kind of arguing or, or where you're, um, that's the idea actually of almost arguing with God in your mind. So he's saying that to do all things without grumbling and disputing. So I, I'm curious, how often do you hear people complain and grumble? If you stop and think about it. How often are you around people that complain and grumble? And what kind of impact does it have on you? It, it almost, well, to say it almost never, I don't think it ever is helpful. But then even to think it out, to think it through in my life, if I had a little grumble meter that was sitting right here and every time Ivan started grumbling, it would beep. I wonder how often that thing would have been buzzing and beeping at me over the last week. Um, and God is saying to do all things without grumbling or disputing. And when I read a command like that, I'm glad that it's God that's working this change in me. And that that's not, uh, not mine on my own. Then he goes on and, and gives all these reasons that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. And here he's definitely referencing back to the children of Israel and how that they grumbled. And he's actually quoting um, Deuteronomy and, and changing it up. So this is what God said about the children of Israel in Deuteronomy. They have dealt corruptly with him. They are no longer his children because they are blemished. They are a crooked and twisted generation. So compare that to what God says. If, if we allow him to change us and we live without grumbling and, and arguing or disputing, then he says that you will be blameless. And he points out you'll be children of God. And then you will shine in the, well, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights or stars in the world. So it's a high command, do all things without grumbling um, or disputing. And then he says that we, we shine like lights or shine like stars. Um, and here's just a picture of how, you know, how a sky looks at night. And I think, I was thinking some about this, and I think for non-believers, the, just the tendency to grumble and complain is so ingrained in us that if we don't do that, I believe it's one of the things that makes us stand out. And I think about how often at work, um, if I'm meeting people and, you know, hey, how's your day going? And some kind of a comment like, well, I could complain, but nobody would listen. You know, like how many times have I heard people say that um, again and again? But anyway, if we, if we truly live out a life that lets God change us on the inside without grumbling and complaining, he says that we shine like the stars. And then the third command for us is the holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. So first of all, we're told to work out, we're told to live without grumbling or complaining, and we're told to hold fast. And when it talks about holding fast, translations go either direction with this. The one has the idea of just of holding on, and that this is what's important to us. We are holding fast. We will not compromise the word of Christ. And I think that's clearly, clearly a right translation. The other one the other way of translating it is that you are to hold on to it, but you're actually to hold it out and offer it. And I think in the context, that makes a lot of sense. If we are shining like lights, that the very next phrase would be that you hold out the word of life. 
And so I think we're actually called to do both, that we're called to hold on to the word of life um, and not compromise it, but we are called to hold it out and um, just to share that with those around us. Um, Again, I love the picture of the stars because that, to me, talks about our life being different and standing out. That's our testimony. That's the way we live. But we're also called to hold out and give, give words to the change inside of us. So I think we need to do both. Um, that it, Let it be our testimony, but also our life, but also let it be the words um, that we use. All right, then he goes on and he says, even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering of, upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. So here's Paul in prison. He doesn't know if he's going to live or die. And he's telling us that we should be willing to sacrifice for others. And he gets to the end and he says, you know what? If I am poured out like an offering and die, I'm going to rejoice in that. And I actually want you to rejoice with me. Can you imagine having that, that attitude? And that's somebody who has allowed Christ to just work, um, work out his salvation, to have that type of an attitude. So again, just to summarize, um, as we look at Philippians 2 and the three things that God calls us to do, we're called to work hard to live out what Christ is doing in us. We're called to live without complaining. And we are called to hold fast and to hold forth the word of life. So I don't know where, where, you at, where you're at this morning as you think about um, working out your salvation. And was just thinking about some of the things that Satan would like to have happen. And so one of, you know, one of the things I think he would want us to do is to just not put much effort into this or just stop. Kind of the attitude of, you know what, this is just the way I am. And uh, forget that it is actually God himself working in our, in our heart. And, he want, and Satan would love for us just to, just to kind of settle down and say, to just stop. Or he's okay if we know that there's problems and we try to work it out all on our own. Satan would be fine if we did that because we can't. We're not going to work it out on our own. And so basically, I think if he can get us to forget what God is doing or to forget our part in it and just stop, um, he would be happy. So my challenge um, for us this morning is just let's pay attention to what God is doing. He's changing our our very desires, and giving us power to obey. And it's, it's God himself, and there's so much hope in that. And let's let him do that work um, and just focus on, you know what, the, the diamonds that come out of that is God at work in us. And uh, we can rejoice, and he will get all the credit um, for that. Thank you. I'll turn the time back over to Nate.